Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. We're going to talk about big changes in online advertising, a new bill aimed at Facebook and a tech giant that's breaking up, but not one that you think. But first... How you doing? How's it going? I actually, I feel pretty good. I just worked out. I feel some, when we were pre-mic, mm-hmm. I feel some heaviness and, and some darkness in your voice. Are you distressed or is there something we need to discuss? No, we had a gas leak at our house, so that's why. I'm just like irritated. <laughs> yes. Really? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a long story. It's, it's just uh, home running sucks when, when you don't have lots of assistance to help you. Um, it just there was a gas leak and I have children. And so we have to get it fixed. That's all. They they, they improved something hmm. and made it worse, if that makes sense. We had, we had a new water heater put in and it, it's managed to make the house smell like gas. So that's nice. That was, that was a nice well, good morning nice. for you. <laughs> Everybody light a candle. No, um, no, it's just irritating when when you have a house and you have to deal with it. But that's all right. I have a house. Here's an idea. Sell your house on Zillow. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Little tech humor bring brought in. Um, do you have parent-teacher conferences? I have those coming up. Uh, I, I not only I have them on both ends. So I go in and do the parent-teachers conferences for my kids, and then I have parent-teachers conferences with my kids who are MBAs who show up and pretend that they're both the victimized child and the mother protecting the child in one person. Oh, wow. It's one of the reasons I don't teach undergrads anymore. Yeah, why? Undergrads, and you can empathize, because they're so great obsessed. They literally come to you and like, Yeah, they are. What did, I got an A-, minus. what can I do to get it to an A? If I do this on the next test, will I get an A? It's just like, Jesus Christ, dude, I don't care. Get out of my face. And the nice thing about MBAs, Yeah. So they don't really don't care about grades because oh, everybody gets a B. Because they're there a, to learn, right? Because they're there to learn some stuff. Well, and it just doesn't matter any longer. A lot of the kids yeah. undergrad at NYU are trying to get into graduate school, so they're totally grade obsessed. They take yeah. courses because they're easy, and and it's too bad. You can understand, but it just yeah. sucks as a professor. You're like, yeah. boss, aren't we here to learn? And then I have to be held accountable, which yeah. I do not like. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. No, uh, I get uh, it. I get it. I get it. My son did really well in school, and he, he got one that he didn't like. It was a B-plus or something out of all A's, and mm-hmm. he was obsessed on the B-plus. I was like, okay. Like, I was like, this is great. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway, um, anyway, we have to do those this week, too, which will be interesting. Yeah, our house came crumbling down because our, our oldest, who's a really good student, mm-hmm. Is having trouble with Spanish. Spanish. Like That's where brain. my son has the trouble. Yeah. He just can't figure out the Espanol. Yeah. And he comes home and the house, I mean, a German mother, 
a, an American kid with a B in Spanish is just recipe for fucking UN disaster. I mean, the whole household. <laughs> There's cursing in German over his poor Spanish skills. It's, Why doesn't he speak Muy German? Malo Why doesn't he Casa speak German? Galloway. Why doesn't he take German? Well, okay, the question is, why would he? We, so when he That's was a true. kid, we thought, oh, we're so cosmopolitan and interesting. Yeah. And we were speaking Polish, German, and English. And then someone looked up and said, okay, it's two and a half, and he hasn't said a fucking word. Oh, really? So we said, oh. "Let's." here's an idea. Let's go all English all the time. And of course, as American Let parents Let me just be like, clear. You weren't speaking Polish or German. You were just speaking English, right? It's your wife you're talking about, correct? <laughs> Kochania. <laughs> you just speak. Nugen. I speak the German. <laughs> Baden Munich. I took German for four years at foreign service school. I speak German badly. Lewandowski. I know I the key know German words. What is? I know what? the key German words. Okay, but anyways, we had anyway. the, the nanny speaking Polish. Yeah. And the kid was speaking nothing. So I, that, uh, one of the few times I actually put the, my foot down, which happens about once every mm. summer solstice. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're going all English all the time. Okay. And as American parents, everyone says, oh, it's the Einstein syndrome. Like, only they could take speech <laughs> delay and turn it into, oh, it must mean he's brilliant. I'm like, no, yeah. it just means he's not speaking yet oh, and we're freaking yeah. out. I don't know. I don't Anyways, know. I don't sorry. think about those things. Uh, the Jordan Child speaks beautifully. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you that. Wait till you see her next. She's like blabbing Girls away. speak earlier. Yeah, they really yeah, do. It was really shocking. Anyway, we're going to talk. Enough with our family situation. WeWork's ex-CEO, Adam Newman spoke to uh, a reporter, this is Andrew Ross Sorkin, your pal, for the first time mm-hmm. in two years. So yes, the valuation made us feel like we were right, which made me feel that whatever style I was leading at was a correct style at the time. So I do think it, it affected it. I also think the chase, and at some point I do think, and I think that's what maybe is, is getting hinted that maybe it went to my head, I do think at some point it did. He expressed regret over WeWork's complicated accounting regrets. He has a few, including the infamous community-adjusted EBITDA. Uh, the audience members suggest that he shares wealth with WeWork employees who lost jobs during the company's downturn. He did not respond. What What do you think? What do you think? He's back ch- chatting away. I didn't see it. Did you see it? I didn't no, I didn't. I read about it. it. I, Andrew had a really good yeah, lineup of people at his event. It was a virtual event. Oh, incredible, Cook. yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no one fills a room uh, like Andrew Ross Sorkin, except for maybe Kara Swisher. But anyways, the uh, look, he, he, first off, he's going to go down in history. There'll be business classes written about him around negotiation because he he read the situation perfectly and yeah. said, okay, here's here's a billionaire who's raised $100 billion who was dumb enough to make these types of crazy investments. And I, he also allowed dual-class shareholder stock where basically I control the company and I can burn the village to save it, meaning I can let this yeah. thing go bankrupt and then have people come in that are non-soft bank and he'll, they'll be in a tremendous loss of face. So this is the first individual in history through what I'll call almost like borderline sociopathic yeah. negotiation skill, ability to remove all sense of shame or humiliation or embarrassment and said – I'm going to get a 10% commission on a, you know, an 11 or a 15% commission on an $11 billion destruction in capital. Yeah. We've never seen that before. And yeah, he didn't and then do he walked away illegal. with a fortune. He walked away with a fortune. Yeah, and where he screwed up, where he really screwed up, in my view, mm-hmm. and if I were him, he's such obviously a narcissist. He talked about being president of the world. I spoke to the Partnership of Investment Bank yesterday in Miami, and it gave me deja vu of I actually interviewed Adam Newman on stage mm-hmm. at a J.P. Morgan conference in Miami like two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's an incredibly, incredibly charismatic person. Yes, People just sort of fell in love with him. And the, where he really screwed up here, one, I just think he should have stayed out of the public eye. I think the only time you come back is, is with work. I think work gets past this stuff, not showing up 
and reminding everybody of what a narcissist you are. Yeah. But where he really screwed up was he should have taken some of that one and a half billion. Yeah. Say he'd taken a hundred million, which sounds like a lot of yeah. money, but it's only six percent of a billion and a half. And he should have set up a fund for the other people impacted by his, you know, his his loss, his yeah. the, the decline. Well, that's what the instead, audience member suggested, right? I don't think he did. Well, it, he, he was it's silent. Like it's all about it's all about we till it comes down to the Benjamins, and it's all about I, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and right. so he and to SoftBank's credit, SoftBank was actually quite generous in terms of severance with the people they laid off. Yeah, I just think WeWork has a fighting chance right now. So he will go down in history as one of the great negotiators in terms of reading the situation and being totally fearless and unhaving like totally shameless. But in terms of his own brand, for like fifty million, a hundred million, or six or ten percent of his what I'll call unearned mm -hmm. gains, he could have kind of starched his hat white and positioned bit. himself across the other employees. Yeah, he was so doing. I, 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 he, 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 the interview felt a little bit like he had been well briefed by PR people what to say. Oh, he's over. He's over consulted right now. I find it irritating that after we work IPO, that's when he comes back. Like, look at me now. I guess. I, I don't know, because their IPO is... Yeah, I want some sunlight. Yeah, exactly. I, I, just, I was sort of like, huh. I, it's weird. He said he said, um, he said said it went to his head, the value, the $47 billion valuation. No, it went into his pocket. <laughs> he started buying buildings and then leasing them back to WeWork. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like an incredible lesson in communications and corporate yeah. governance and ego, yeah. all that stuff, much less real estate. I don't know. Yeah, good, I just, good luck you know, him. you can walk away from things. This is the thing. You can walk away. He said that Jamie Dimon told uh, told him to step down. But of course, as he told me, Adam, you've done a great job until now, but you have to put the company first. I trusted Jamie. I look up to Jamie. I still do. The way that this is sort of like soft-handed failure, like they get like delivered onto the soft landing for a lot of these people is really quite something. Like I just, they get money, they get everything else, and they get to come back and say regrets. I have a few. Um, and so it's kind of, it's fascinating. It's, I just find like, are you kidding me? I, I, I think, I, I don't quite know why he showed up or anything else. Although I wouldn't turn out, I mean, Sorkin should have taken him as an interview, but, um, you know, letting him say it went to his, his, yeah, absolutely. But saying it went to his head, I don't know. I just, I'm tired. I'd like him to just, just make something or go away. One or the other, make something well, else. Well, even like JP Moore, I mean, some investment banks were basically saying, you know, propping up their, Research analysts to say this thing is worth fifty to seventy billion, and then a week later it was worth eight billion. Mistake. So it's yep, yep. So, the ability for I, some people to make mistakes and others not to is really quite profound. Um, Twitter rolled out its paid subscription product, Twitter Blue, in the U.S. this week. Um, users get ad-free access to over three hundred news sites. Pretty helpful. Washington Post and Atlantic, which I I got actually I got subscriptions to most of these things because I couldn't get through to them on Twitter easily. Twitter will share part of the subscription revenue with publishers. Twitter Blue does not get around paywalls, so users just need to subscribe to publications like the the, the Post. Um, but it's just a really interesting, it's a little more substantive from what they put out in, I think it was Canada and Australia um, last year. Uh, last, I mean, excuse me, in June. They did it in June or July or something like that. And now it's sort of slowly adding stuff to it. And I'm, what do you think? What do you think? Are you getting on Twitter, Blue? Um, look, I think a moving a subscription is the right thing to do. I would have gone, I would have scaled it based on, I would have charged everybody based on the number of users they had above like uh -huh. 100,000 followers. Yeah. Uh, I think that once you get above 100,000 followers or millions, uh, Twitter takes on an entirely different value proposition, mm -hmm. and they should monetize that. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, if you look at subscription-based products, 
the ones that are successful are really clean and really compelling. And I think this is neither because even just what you said, mm-hmm. it's a, subscri- a subscription product that offers you articles but doesn't get around all paywalls. Like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Does that mean yeah. some articles are for free but others aren't? So yeah, you're saying like there's Google, three tiers. Yeah. There's three tiers. It's a little confusing. I click on something. I click on something and I don't get in. I click on other things and I do get in. And I click, still click on other things and I have to go around a paywall. Yeah. I don't like the price. Maybe it's genius. Three bucks to me makes diminishes. I think pricing is a signaling. And I think this oh, says so there like isn't 10. that much there. Like Five or ten. I don't know. It just feels yeah. like I, a subscription for three bucks. It just sig- Pricing is a really powerful quality mm-hmm. cue. The reason why Grey Goose Vodka is the most successful drinks uh, release in the last 30 years, is the guy said, vodka's all about signaling. Mm-hmm. You order vodka to express your worth as a mate in a dark, crowded place where you're looking to hook up with people. And he said, mm-hmm. instead of charging $30 a bottle, like Absolute and Kettle One, I'm going to charge 50 bucks, and then everyone in the club will go, oh, you must be a player because you ordered Grey Goose. Pricing right. is an incredibly powerful signal. That's and awesome. when you say your subscription is three bucks, it's like, yeah. well, what is this? I don't. Yeah. And then it, the ability to undo a tweet, what's the difference between that and delete a tweet? I well, guess you don't. You don't undo it. You can edit it before. It's a, I don't, I'm well, not really. That's probably fun. something I should do. That's probably a feature I should use. But Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was going to buy it to you for Christmas. Are you being serious? Are you making? Are you mocking me or no, being affectionate? When pr- I'm getting it to you for Christmas because some nights you should not okay. be tweeting. Um, several people okay. I'm going to get That's it fair. for for Christmas. That's um, I think. Look, Prime started off with almost nothing, right? If you remember, it was like free uh, two holy, day, almost nothing. Well, free forty-eight t- hour free delivery on yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, that almost was nothing. That's a whole I, lot of almost gotten, nothing. It's got me, amiga. It's, they've added. They've added. They've added. Here's here's my premise. My larger premise. I love the move to subscription products over this sort of uh, poisonous advertising system that we have created in the internet space. It is poisonous. And so, and it only benefits one side and it it takes advantage of people's data. And I'm happy that they're trying to do these things. Now, I don't have as big a problem with Twitter as other things, but um, it still is any subscription product, whether it's Neva or this or, you know, YouTube premium, I, I, I am all for changing the business models of these companies to a much more healthy business model. But Thank you. As someone That's who thinks speech. a lot and wrongly, incorrectly or correctly gets invited into the, you know, the, the hallowed uh, corner offices of CEOs of big companies to talk about subscription, mm-hmm. the only ones that work are the ones where you go all in. Yeah. Netflix isn't a subscription. It's a fucking IQ test. If you yeah. have Amazon, if you don't have Amazon Prime, it means you don't have a credit card. Panera's, yeah. Panera's like endless coffee. Mm-hmm. You can walk into a Panera anytime and for, for $9.99, you get any coffee drink any day of the week. Yeah. It's just so, these things have to be IQ tests. Yeah. In other words, it's obvious you have an IQ over 80, you're going to do this. Restoration Hardware's uh, RH card, mm-hmm. you get 20 to 30% off everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've uh, got to have meaning. They've got to have meaning. You're 100% right. Yeah. And this thing is like, okay, uh, you're telling me Kara and Scott can't figure this out, so yeah. I'm supposed to figure out if it's yeah. worth three yeah. bucks? Yeah. It's just, I get it. this is not, uh, this is not how you do, this is... You, you got to come to the gun show fully cocked and loaded or locked oh, no. and loaded. I don't know what the analogy is here, Kara. Please don't make gun ones. <laughs> you got to come to play. Look, the directionality is correct if the execution is wrong. Thank you. How about that? You got to come to play. You got, you've got to add more. What, what can they offer you? What? Uh, I'm telling you, they have billions of dollars of shareholder value. 
resting there if they just said over time we're creating a new tier and quite frankly you got 30 days or where you got a blue check or they could do it elegantly that anybody like quite frankly like the two of us especially you with over mm. 1.4 million followers we have they start charging you mm. and you're going to complain and you'll write editorials angry and then you know what you'll pay yeah, yeah. Uh, because twitter but that's forced like if you're, happy thing i want things that i'm happy to get like special things I'm happy to get. What, that's the thing is what can they- Twitter is not tequila <laughs> and it's not Riverdale. It is not It is not joyous. <laughs> anyway, obviously no. you're not getting on Twitter blue. I like the directionality of this. We'll see where it goes. I'll do it because yeah. well, I'll wait because you're buying it for me. I'm I'll buying it, to it. But have you, uh, like, if you I wrote was. it up, what would you say about this thing? I don't I, I have don't written it up. It. I wrote a conference. I like the directionality of it. I want to see more subscription businesses by these companies. What What can they offer you that's away from the poisonous advertising system? Um, of Weird. which there's only one beneficiary, which is the company. You know who's the gangster in all this? It was Adobe. Adobe, Adobe used to sell Adobe. their software for 1300 bucks. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it went to 25 yeah. bucks a month. And by the way, their revenues declined 20 or 30%. Yeah, I pay for and Adobe. 15, I pay for and Zoom. Then, I pay for Zoom. I, I, I take a little, uh, yeah. I think about what I pay for and why. And I think I like anything subscription is, and I get the idea, which Mark always says, is everybody should have, have access and poor people can't, but you pay for everything in life like this. You don't need Facebook, for example. Um, but it's uh, you, you, you. There should be a free service uh, that, but th there should be an ability to buy a better version. You know what I would pay for? What? Because it takes a real. I don't what? say it takes. Yeah, it does. It takes a toll on me. When I put out something, I read the comments. I'd like to say they like roll right off me. And the really like mean, biting ones where it's someone trying mm -hmm. to diminish your credibility or yeah. really say something really antagonistic or just stupid or racist yeah. are bots. Yeah. You click on it and it's clearly a coward, a keyboard mm -hmm. coward, of which mm -hmm. I think I know several who have fake accounts. Mm -hmm. And go after you. And they could clean that shit up. And they yep. don't. I they, would pay for that. Yeah, I'd pay for that too. Anyway, that's actually their job without you paying for it. Anyway, speaking Agreed. of their job Agreed. without you paying for it, a data breach at Robinhood affected uh, 7 million users, according to the company. They had an unauthorized third party, I don't know, thief essentially, gained access to the customer support system, able to see email addresses, names of some users, may have been able to change user security settings. The company says social security numbers and financial information were not revealed. Uh, these data breaches, whatever. A lot of them, yeah. A lot of them. I mean, with Robinhood, Robinhood has a, and so do, I mean, this is something that a, a kind of a gestalt coming out of all startups is you scale and you ask questions about security and what could happen next. Yes. But you just, you focus on growth. And the, you know, one of the criticisms of Robinhood was it had no customer service mm -hmm. and it wasn't scaling any sort of protections or guardrails. And look, th th this is, you could say this is that it reflects that lack of concern or a, a lack of a lack of investment in infrastructures you scale, which ultimately comes back to haunt them and their customers. Or you could say, look, a lot of companies have been hacked. This doesn't look like it was a what I'll call a hugely damaging hack. Yeah. But uh, and you know, not only that, Kara. No one's. This won't impact the company. Everyone will move on. Yep. There's so many of these acts we've become numb to Agreed. them. Agreed. Speaking of another one, another crisis. A company, Peloton, Black Employees. This is a story. Insider says they're being paid less than their white colleagues when pressed by Black employees on the issue. A Peloton vice president said that it's not a market-based system. Peloton CEO told employees that the company compensates in equity, but the stock price is down from its all-time high. That's really one of the bigger problems there. You know, Peloton's really been gone. This CEO 
perhaps we need a new one. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, they were sort of riding high, so to speak. And I still love my Peloton, I have to say. What happens here? Well, I don't know. See, this is one of these things. This is one of these accusations that the company is just a little bit guilty regardless of the veracity of the accusation. And what you'd want to do is say, okay, is it is it in like-for-like like jobs? You'd want to look at the analysis here because it's— Yeah, they're doing that. They, that's what they said. Whenever you accuse an organization of sexism or racism, people tend to kind of shoot first and then ask questions. And I actually think the CEO's done an incredible job, and I like founder-led companies. Uh, bottom line is it's another—it seems like people always—I don't want to say always, but people have a tendency, I think, to pile on around social issues when the company is kind of weak because they feel like it's going to get mm -hmm. more traction because the media loves— the media loves to pile on. And unfortunately, I think the media plays a really important role in holding these firms accountable. But these types of stories, there's mm -hmm. good incentives for these type of stories. And then the bad incentives is they get clicked on because they're, yeah. they feel scandalous. Agreed. And so yep. they get – sometimes they get more oxygen, quite frankly, than they deserve. The, the statement I did not understand is that when I'm on boards and we're trying to defend why – or the CEO is trying to defend why – the people around the board are making millions of dollars and the people in the store mm -hmm. are making 12 bucks an hour. We say our our compensation policy is based on supply and demand, which is kind of the capitalist go-to. And then, But mm -hmm. he said here that it's not a market-based system. And I didn't understand what, yeah. what the VP meant by that. Well, I think quite a lot of the people who actually do the assembly are people of color. There's it, it, It's a little more complex. I kept reading and I'm like, well, this seems a little more complex than – just the accusations. Anyway, they're doing a whole kind of overhaul and stuff like that. But more to the point, this company's, you know, on the ropes. It's They're going through their trough. Every company goes through well, its trough. I'm telling you, Karen. So where will it end up? Oh, what? it's easy. This ends up in the hands of Apple or Nike. This company now has, I think, a $15 billion market cap, which means that yeah. which means that Apple up. could pay a 60% premium and take less than a 1% mm -hmm. dilution, dilution. Nike could pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a 40% dilution and take about an eight. Or, so all of a sudden, at these price levels, Peloton is no longer a bet the ranch acquisition. It's an acquisition. Yep, yep, yep. yep. It just, to me, it just feels so ripe it's about to fall off the tree. And Nike needs to forward integrate yep. e either into content or connected fitness um, to pull yep. away from everybody else. And um, Nike, Apple— Apple's trying to develop. Let, let me let me let me talk about a subscription program where Daddy comes to play. All right, Apple has right. something called Apple One, and Apple how Apple gets to three hundred dollars a share is that it mm -hmm. has something called Apple One, and it's okay. All your ride ha hailing. I didn't buy and, it. All your ride hailing in an Apple car or an Apple car. Every uh, device yeah. we make sixty days before anyone else gets it. All your media. Yeah. All your music. All of yep. it. All of it yeah. for $100, $200, $300 a month based on your economic weight class and whether you want the best phone, the best car, or maybe yep. it's maybe they're Agreed. headed towards a card-hailing service. But Apple, just take me off the table, baby. Yeah. And they could yeah. announce it and people would start signing up for it. But that's – Apple could really – Apple could launch a subscription product that could set the world on fire. What a subscription flavor we have here going on. Subscription flavor. You're right. They should pick up Peloton. It all comes back to the same thing, Kara, and that is the biggest mistake we've made as marketers is to believe that choice is a good thing. Consumers don't want more choice. They want to be more confident in the choices presented. And you, with an you've organization like— You've been tweeting like, a lot about that. You've been tweeting these many stories about things. Like, I'd agree with you. I think you want to go with people that you can count on. 
You know, for example, I think that I think that throughout life, that's where you, you want to people you can actually count on. You know, you're going to get a quality product in an area you like. It's why people, why rich people stay at Four Seasons. I call them holiday inns for rich people. Yep. Um, or you know, or St. Regis, whatever they like. It looks the same everywhere they go, and they get exactly what they want, and everything's in their room. I, 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 would, I would disagree. I think for the, the commonality across Four Seasons, why it's such an amazing brand, is they take a full time approach to their employees. So when you have a waiter at a Four Seasons restaurant. It's mm-hmm. it's a woman or a man who makes a good living and has health insurance and can actually make a career at the Four Seasons as opposed to someone waiting for their casting uh, agent. Agreed. To get. I'm talking about the forward-facing stuff to people. They like mm. it because it's familiar wherever yep. they are, whether they're in Switzerland or France or, you know, the U.S. Anyway, time for our first yep. big story. We're getting into advertising now, speaking of which we've been touting subscriptions, Facebook or Meta, let's just not call it Meta. Let's refuse. Let's have a okay. like a let's have a refusal to that. Says it will disable targeted advertising for thousands of sensitive categories related to health, race, religion, political affiliation, and sexual orientation. They're of course trying to get ahead of the sheriff. Mm-hmm. The changes will affect ads on Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger. Facebook ads aren't going away though. Advertisers can still make use of tens of thousands of categories, including age, gender, and location. So they're doing that. And obviously, there's also a new bipartisan bill uh, uh, in the House uh, that could bring changes to social media news. I don't think it's going to pass. It's called the Filter Bubble Transparency Act. That's a strange name. That would force networks to provide chronological feed for users as an alternative to algorithmic feeds. The bill has carve-outs for smaller social networks. So this is pretty squarely aimed at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, So what think you? I mean, does this help? Or her, it, it helps, right, that they're doing this, but what? Uh, so I wanted, you may know more about this than I do, but on the mm-hmm. face of it, it feels like when Apple said we're reducing the fees for small business, and that is, it mm-hmm. makes for a good press release, but it actually impacts about 1% or 2% of revenues mm-hmm. and activities. So I'd just be yeah. curious yeah. to know what percentage of advertising does this actually impact? I think on the face of it, it just feels to me like they said, all right, we need to pretend we give a good goddamn about the Commonwealth or our users. So let's come up with some very, you know, sensitive words, you know, race, religion, political affiliation, sexual orientation. But I'd be very curious to know of $100 in advertising that is served up algorithmically, is this 10 cents on the $100? Is this 10 bucks? What do they mean by that? Anything related to health? Does that include extreme dieting? Like what? I don't know. Mm -hmm. The devil's in the details here. And quite frankly, we have a devil in the details, and it's called the Facebook Mm – 1,800-person comms department spinning shit. So it sounds to me like someone needs to do some reporting. What's your sense of this? I just think it's press release. You know, whatever. Okay, sure. I I would have just done it and kept it to myself. You know, if she really mattered. Um, You know, they they can still, they, they, they never take anything that's not at the dead center of their business, right? They never, they never go for anything. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, there's some cleanup they've had to do around advertising practices. Um, and, you know, it's easy to go after contra- controversial things. Um, and so, you know, whatever. I just, I, I don't, I think it's way too. Wait, hold on, this I hear a siren like, and I heard that your garage is on fire. Is that gas leak going? What's going on here? <laughs> no. What's going no, on? Sorry, don't use the toaster. Outside. Do not turn on the toaster. I shall not. Um, I, I think it's just this, the, this idea of, these are all band-aids on what is a bigger problem, as we discussed, which mm-hmm. is the business model, which really does 
rely on enormous amounts of data taken from customers. So, um, and I know I'm making, uh, that's sort of a simplistic way of putting it. Um, this chronological feed, algorithmic feed, I, I honestly don't know enough about it. Um, yeah, Facebook said they tested it and it was, there was integrity problems. Um, you can you can actually change it, I think, on these things. Um, but it's just again, these are all the, the, the architecture is the problem of these things, not um, anything else. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm being cynical. Yeah, what but you've you always said it. The problem the problems all reverse engineer to the same place, and it's a guy mm-hmm. named Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, it's just the entire the entire feel of this company. It's you've it, always I don't think anything changes until there's a change in leadership or something very dramatic happens to this company. Because uh, what does any of this mean? What does what does disabled targeted advertising around health mean? Does that mean you can't shame and bully a 15 year old girl? That's mental health. Like what yeah, does it's it mean? A separate thing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So let's get some reporters on it so we can find out what it means. Um, they're not going to give up a lot of stuff, but I, I felt like this was sort of a press release. That's what it felt like to me. I agree with you. Uh, and giving the smaller networks a pass is, you know, there's some really icky smaller networks, but, you know. That that's... probably kills the legislation. It feels yeah. It feels like what you do in China, not what you do in the U.S. And you, you, the word you use is the right one. Legislation has to be systemic. It has to be, why would you not systemic. apply this to TikTok and Snap? I mean, not to defend Facebook. It's got to be. It's got to be thoughtful legislation that impacts problems across small and big. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of some of this legislation that's coming out. All right, Scott. Let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss the year's biggest IPO, and then we'll talk to a friend of Pivot about how Instagram harms young girls. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. 
Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, it changes the foot in the world of business. General Electric, which seems to be perpetually in a downward spiral for some reason, uh, will break up into three publicly traded companies. Of course, they spent a lot of time getting together. We'll have one for healthcare, one for aviation, and one for renewable energy and power. Uh, GE has been in trouble for a long time um, under Jeff Immelt. I was just with some GE executives, and all they did was trash Jeff Immelt the whole time. In recent years, it sold off appliance and light uh, bulb businesses, which is somewhat funny. Um they they made a bad bet in fossil fuels years ago. Uh, th- this this is the idea of the the conglomerate. Although tech giants are sort of being more and more conglomerate, but what do you think of this? This is interesting. This is an interesting. Yeah, they're blaming change. the they're being heavy handed with the wrong guy. The reality is the greatest CEO of the 20th century is slowly but surely turning into the worst CEO of the 20th century. And as people uncover the Byzantine you know hornet's nest that is this this conglomerate that's impossible to understand called GE, they're finding that through the 90s, essentially, Jack Welch was manipulating the numbers with his financial services group and constantly juicing the numbers and left, quite frankly, a, just a, a shitstorm for Jeffrey Immelt to unwind. Uh, this is, so I, I think Jeffrey Immelt actually was dealt a really, really bad hand. And as mm-hmm. the numbers finally like caught up or the reality caught up to market and reporting requirements, the, and in addition, the company decided it was core competence was tax avoidance. There was no synergy between the groups. This is a smart move. This will be a creative for shareholders because General Electric has some amazing assets. It's jet engines. It has you know it has some incredible people. It has a great yep. culture of training. And almost mm-hmm. it used to be in any Fortune 500 CEO search, you had to have someone from GE in the mix. They were known as sort of the. Mm-hmm. The training ground, you know, they were the farm club for the best soccer team in the world. They were the, you know, the 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 junior league at Dortmund uh, in Germany. A lot of Premier League, a lot of a lot of soccer references today. Although I'm not sure that's Premier League. Someone mm-hmm. on Twitter will correct me. But anyways, General Electric. The, this makes all the sense in the world. They have a great, they have a great, I think, healthcare group. This will be a creative to shareholders because this thing has become. There's so much headline risk and confusion around. The conglomerate here has added negative value. It's given them the ability to play all sorts of shenanigans. It's created a lack of transparency. The stock has been just pummeled, just pummeled. But I think any real honest analysis goes that Jack Welch pumped uh, pumped the company with near fraudulent reporting and then handed – Handed Jeffrey Emmel a house of cards and said, all right, you're mess, boss. So, Oh, you just talked against Jack Welch. No, I'm just, every time I'm around people, they just go on and on and on. Jack Welch and this whole shareholder value. And, and also, I think it was terrible what he did, ranking employees internally, created, I think, a culture of toxicity. I think he's, I think he's uh, absolutely uh, not the CEO we want to model. And the, yeah. the, more, that, mm-hmm. the more that comes and to light around— marks. The numbers and the reporting, 
Um, it, he used the complexity and uh, 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 all kinds of tricks and accounting standards and tax avoidance to pump the stock and then peace out. And, and like I said, he, Jeff Immelt got – I mean, poor Jeff Immelt. He probably made 100 or $200 million over the course of 10 years yeah. while watching the stock go down 70 or 80 percent. But he really was dealt a bad hand. Well, there we have it. Now it's split up. Okay, and Rivian went public at a valuation of $90 billion, one of the largest IPOs in history. I know, right? (laughs) Now you can have another electric car maker to yell about. Can you believe this? (laughs) I mean, okay, so it's got, I think— $90 billion for 1,200 cars. So they've sold 1,200 cars, and by the way, as of today, they're worth more than General Motors. I mean, the whole EV thing, I get it. It's exciting. I own an EV thing. That just feels— Next to space tourism, I'm trying, to think of a, I'm trying to think of a space. They're buying the future, Scott. Well, they're paying a lot the for the future. I don't know if the future is worth yeah. this much, Kara. I don't. I know. Are you going to die on this hill, now the oh Rivian Hill? And then the... <laughs> it's overvalued. <laughs> Bill Cohen wrote a very good piece in Puck News about it. He's like, I don't even want to talk about Tesla uh, I, anymore. I, I, I can't. can't. I he said, can't. I just can't. I, can't I, do I it. I, Any of these. Just stay away from these. I, just, I just drive can't. your Tesla around Florida I and just can't. stay away from these. I can't. Just yeah. stay away. I know. We'll see where it goes. But people are buying into the future. Okay, fine. Uh, uh, software company Unity also bought um, Peter Jackson's company, part, oh, part of it, Weedah. This blew my mind. To create the Weedaverse, I guess. This blew anyway, my mind. Gollum. I know. I read this. Gollum. I'm like, what? They're paying a billion dollars for what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just didn't. They're paying a billion for, for yeah. Gollum? What does Gollum do? Is Gollum a thing? I was just like, this totally blew my mind. I was a couple drinks in last night, and I read that he— At first, I yeah. thought it was an article from The Onion— and I'm like, wait, no, yeah. someone is actually paying a billion. Can you, do you understand this? I don't understand this. Uh, you know, the guy who's the CEO of Unity, John Riccatello, used to run Electron. I know him pretty well. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they've got to all look like they're fattening up with the metaverse, the weediverse, or whatever. They have to, they got to make plays. This is, a, these are, these are uh, I, I'm not going to, I have seen all the uh, episodes of Succession, and it's already, people who've watched it already, there's already, like a lot of companies figuring out what they are next is really the theme of this season. Um, and this is what's happening, I think. Yeah, I don't, I, I just, uh, I, I'm just so excited. I, I think the, uh, I mean, I just, I can't wait for the Microsoft metaverse. The idea of a metaverse with Excel is just so exciting and intoxicating. <laughs> okay. I mean, literally, anyway, that, just so you know, t- talk about the <laughs> start ahead, of the year. <laughs> they announced the Microsoft yeah. metaverse and it's like, Okay, so we're going to have Google Docs. And we'll probably use the Microsoft Metaverse more. Probably. I have to tell you, I bet, probably. Okay, Amazon owns 20% of Rivian. They also own a, another car. They, they have a lot of investment in the electric this car. More and, sword and fighting with their moves. little dicks. Do you think Jeff yeah, Bezos would be in EVs if Elon Musk was not in EVs? Do you think they? Oh, oh, yes, I do. Because of his de- delivery, maybe Amazon. Yes, I can God, see them in this that is area. Like my human it growth hormone. They have is trucks everywhere. They have the growth hormone. No, no, no. I think they have to be looking at this. You got Rocket Man and Bosley for Mars in the world's worst. <laughs> in any case, we can talk about another topic. I know this. It, you have to stay away from these electric cars. I got to I got to stay away. That's the third rail for me is electric. Yes, <laughs> cars. At 100- and the thing is, you love them. You love electric cars is the thing, which makes I, me I laugh. Pre- no, no. I appreciate their engineering. I actually like the throaty feel of a V8 pouring carbon into the air. I drive a Range Rover because— yeah. <laughs> Daddy's 
daddy's going through a midlife crisis that's going to end in about 40 years. That's forgot. You do have a. I rolled down to Miami, my Range Rover. I'm like, conk, conk. Hello, ladies. Hello. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, we'll see what happens with both these companies, with Rivian, and uh, and I'm going to keep Scott away from Unity. Uh, Amazon might make a play in this area, too. There's industrial light magic. Everyone's going to be buying their metaverses up. So you're going to see some action in that area. In any case, let's bring on a friend of Pivot. Scott, please do the honors. So I believe our guest is the most influential scholar in the world right now Mm -hmm. and is courageous. Oh, go on. Yeah, go on. There you go. And a fan. (laughs) And a fan. Uh, Really one of the wonderful things about NYU is you get to uh, hang out with incredibly impressive people. Anyways, Jonathan Haidt is amongst many things a psychologist. Is that right? Social psychologist. Social psychologist. There's a a bio there you can read. You know that. Well, we're friends, Kelly. All right, go ahead. I don't need to read his bio. Okay. Uh, The Dog Rolls with with Professor Haidt has written some fantastic books, a book that is almost, is really kind of inspired uh, my view around social media and that it's a coddling of the American mind. But I'm very serious as having a huge impact. And the thing I love about Jonathan, he's, he's someone on the faculty that is fearless and in the midst of a certain narrative is just unafraid to stand up and go, no, that's not true. And just lay it out. Uh, anyways, uh, a colleague from NYU Stern named one of the top global thinkers by Foreign Policy Magazine. His current research looks at Instagram's harm to children and girls and builds off the re- revelation in the Facebook files. Professor Haidt, welcome to Pivot. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Tara. No problem. Uh, so let's kick off. Explain to us how you made your way from psychology to studying social media and your thoughts around Try and break down what is good about social media's impact on young people and what is bad about social media. Sure. So I'm a social psychologist who studies morality. I used to look at it across cultures, like across countries. And in the early 2000s, I realized that left and right in America are becoming like different countries with different Mm -hmm. textbooks, different constitution. The culture war was heating up. So I've been studying that. and, And I looked at the way different moral matrices, different moral worlds were sort of coming apart. And then this weird thing happened to us on campus. We started seeing in 2014, we started seeing students who seemed to live in a different world in which books and speakers were dangerous and possibly violent, and we couldn't understand what was going on. And my friend Greg Lukianoff came to me and said, uh, you know, it seems as though college students are doing these cognitive distortions, just as I learned not to do when I was treated for depression. And so we wrote an article called The Coddling of the American Mind. And we didn't know it then, this was 2015, we didn't know it then, but a gigantic tidal wave of depression, anxiety, self-harm, and even suicide had begun in 2013. Mm -hmm. And... um, And so we were just puzzling, why are students behaving so differently than they did two years ago? Um, And so we wrote that article in 2015, and now we have the data. Now we can see that it is not just students, it's overwhelmingly the girls. The Mm -hmm. girls' uh, rates of mental illness shot up in 2013. You you almost never see an elbow in a graph this sharp. Uh, And why is that? And so we were speculating, well, you know, it's like the overprotection of kids is a part of the story. But, you know, what else changed just before 2013? And while there are a number of things that changed, the only thing that fits the bill is that kids basically migrated their social lives from, you know, they were texting a lot before then. But that's really different from posting photographs of yourself and then waiting anxiously while the world judges them. 
So we think that's the major single factor to explain what happened to girls in 2013. And it's still happening. The rates are still rising. It's unbelievable when you so see the So the current research you're doing on is that there's the Instagram harm. And this, of course, came out in these Facebook files, of which, you know, Facebook pushed back on rather significantly on their own researchers. And, you know, a lot of people I talk to within Facebook who are in the research areas say it was a little bit... T- uh, twisted by the media. And I don't mean to say that in a negative way. It's mm-hmm. just, it's it's a great, you know, and, and politicians, it's a great story. Instagram is killing girls, essentially, which is not really what's mm-hmm. going on. Can you talk a little bit with a little more sophistication? Because there are obviously stressful sure. issues going on here for young people, um, along with climate change, school shootings, et cetera. But, but this is, has been the change. So can you sort of sort that out? Because I, mm-hmm. I think sure. it's, of course, become reductive on both sides. Yeah, no, thank you, Kara, because that's what I'm most concerned about is that I think the research is being misrepresented and misunderstood. So let's forget about the research that Facebook itself did, because as the critics have pointed out, this is not exactly a very deep or powerful research. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they had a, a couple of researchers interview a bunch of girls, especially mm-hmm. in the UK and America. I forget if it was a few hundred or a couple thousand. Um, but that's not, it's not a very powerful study. It's not very good data. Yeah. Um, and if you think, oh, well, then let's ignore that. But wait a second. What is the good data? The only good data that exists is the data that Facebook and Instagram have themselves on who is doing what, when, and, and what happens to them afterwards. And they won't share mm-hmm. that. So let's, let's, put aside the recent revelations. We don't need them. Uh, what I've been doing since 2019 is cataloging all of the published research uh, because there are hundreds and hundreds of articles. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're only taking the research that began in 2014, 2015, because the problem only became clear in 2013. And when you put them all together, and uh, listeners can, if you go to thecoddling.com and then you find our webpage on better mental health, better uh, social media, you'll find these Google Docs. They're open. Anyone can add to them. What you see is that there are hundreds and hundreds of studies that look for correlations, and these correlations are very tiny between digital media use Mm -hmm. and mental health outcomes. And that's what Facebook is always pointing to, these these very low correlations, correlation coefficients around like 0.04, 0.06. They're not very large. But here's the key thing everyone has to understand. These studies are of digital media use, which is mostly watching Netflix videos mm. and texting and doing your homework and, and everything else. Um, and when you look at these studies, and this is what you can see in our Google Doc, when you look at the few that zoom in on social media, boom, yeah. the correlations go yeah. up to around 0.1, which is still not huge. And if you zoom in on girls in social media, they go up to 0.15 or even 0.2 is what we mm-hmm. find. So you know, if there's some activity that correlates 0.2 with your kid's mental health, you would never let your child do that. And so that's what I'm so concerned about, that the data is actually there to show an association. There are also experiments. It's not just correlations. So the data is there. It's been there for a long time, but I think it's being misrepresented. Facebook always points to these studies with low correlations. Where they get lumped in with everybody else, where they get lumped in with within. Exactly. So so do you believe they have this data within the company or they perhaps aren't measuring it? Because, you know, they always say you don't measure, you know, you can't know what you don't measure or whatever. Right. So look, I study business mm-hmm. ethics. And I've been trying to get companies to use experimental methods to improve their ethical cultures mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that companies are brilliant at doing experiments in the marketing department. They know A-B testing, but nobody wants to do it in personnel or, or in ethics. They don't want to find out if there are ethical problems in the company, so they don't do it. Now, Facebook and Instagram, they, you know, 
they can tell everything about you. You know, they can tell your menstrual cycle, apparently, from what you mm-hmm. buy. I mean, they know everything about you. So they could easily, I'm sure they do know, um, how, uh, me- how your mental health, as measured by your language, fluctuates in response to what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they have the data. But it's kind of, you know, as Tristan Harris says, it's like there's a crime scene. You know, there's a dead body here. Um, but the entire crime scene is owned by mm-hmm. Facebook, and they won't let the investigators mm-hmm. in. You sent me an email, uh, Jonathan, you said, we are now raising our children in an environment that starves them of the experiences they need most while waterboarding them with experiences that are useless or harmful. That, <laughs> that was, was an a email? Powerful statement. What are you two doing? So, <laughs> Don't send me so, that email, Jonathan. a very Jonathan. intimate intellectual relationship. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> he seems nice. He's actually a total sure gangster Jesus. with a ton of IQ. But the, what, I, what I would – you – you know as much or more about this than almost anyone in the world right now. Can you talk of specifically trying to disarticulate the components of social media? Yeah. Some are good. Let's be honest. Yeah. Some are very good for young people. Some are very bad. Can you attempt to yeah. parse those those negative and benign features? Yeah, yeah. I think the, the framework that lets you put everything in context is to look at normal, healthy mammal development. So mammals have these big brains, and they have this long attachment um, to develop those brains. And so all mammals play. This is a feature of being a mammal. And for kids, it's a lot of rough and tumble play. It's a lot of chasing games, and it's a lot of pretend play. That's what healthy child development is. Um, now, to some extent, social well, uh, technology can help. Like, I, you know, when I came home yesterday, my daughter was on my iPad doing uh, 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 doing well, not Roblox. It was uh, uh, some Minecraft, other game, perhaps. and she was mind. Thank you. It was Minecraft, and she was zooming with a friend, and they were laughing their heads off. Mm-hmm. Now that's great. That's play. They were mm-hmm. playing, and it was synchronous, and it was it was building their relationship. Mm-hmm. So in play, kids learn how to take risks. They learn how to make mistakes, and the costs of a mistake are trivial. Um, so this, and, and they need to make thousands and thousands of mistakes in order to become adults who can handle mm-hmm. risk. Uh, so that's normal play. And when all this stuff came in around 2011, and I was seeing, like, okay, all these kids, they're like tweeting, you know, here's the hamburger I had for lunch, and all these little things. I thought, this is kind of stupid. But you know what? Who am I to judge? Maybe they'll be like ultra social. Maybe like they check in with 100 kids a day. Like maybe it'll be really good for them. And in theory, it could have been. But now we can see, no, it doesn't substitute. And especially saying to kids, instead of spending three hours a day playing with your friends, how about you spend three hours a day thinking about Instagram, thinking about your next selfie, editing your next yeah. selfie, putting it up and waiting anxiously with high cortisol levels while strangers and strange men rate you. How about that for healthy development? No, so, no. So that I think is what's happened. We've destroyed so childhood. Destroyed childhood. Okay, childhood destroyed. That's the net. We've destroyed childhood. Yeah. And by we, I mean they. So, but when you think about this, how do you avoid being like, I don't like this Elvis, he's swiveling his pelvis kind of thing. Like the idea of a lot of stuff that comes in, especially among young people. Now, look, China has just decided we're just going to cut it off for kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's been there's some legislation around that in the United States, although it will take a while or if it gets past it, all these age gating apps, Um, kids obviously find their way around them. Um, But what what actually can be done aside from acting like China, which is like, you just won't be doing it. We're just going to turn off the spigot, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a couple of big things that we that we can do and really need to do. So the first is we need to – so first, look, let me certainly grant. What's going on is a moral panic, and all the critics, all the skeptics say, oh, this is just like what happened with comic yep. books and, you know, video games. And they're right that it is like that. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. In the past, it has usually been wrong. But there never has been an elbow in the – 
self-harm graphs. I mean, you, you know, uh, you go to the Google Doc. It's unbelievable what's happened in the U.S., Canada, and Britain. In all three countries, the 13 to 16-year-old girls double or triple their rate of self-harm between 2011 and 2015. In just a couple years, the rate triples. This is hospital admissions, not self-report. So um, when Elvis started swinging his hips, it's not as though we suddenly that year or the next year had a tripling of crime or rape or mm -hmm. anything else. Um, so I think this is very different because we have what I'd say is the biggest mental health crisis of my lifetime. Yeah. Hmm. It came in 2013. There is no other explanation for it. Uh, Carrie, you mentioned uh, the, the generation disaster thesis, mm -hmm. which is, oh, look at all the bad things that have happened, mm -hmm. you know, from 9-11 right. to the Newtown shooting, which was 2012. Oh, isn't it that? Um, to which I would say... The reality has gotten better and safer for kids decade by decade. Um, school shootings are not even up if you average decade by decade. They're not up very much from the 70s. Um, it's not that kids are, are, it's not that, so look, the world is safer than ever. The mm -hmm. death rate from all sources is safer. Life is better in almost every way in the real world. But in the pseudo-metaverse, which is already here, just not evenly distributed, in the pseudo-metaverse that all these kids hooked themselves up to around 2012, suddenly everything is threatening, terrible, and going so, the wrong so way. So should there be age gating? So because so the thing is, the problem yes. here, oh my god, the problem yes. here is the adults are also similarly addicted and depressed by these things. Like right, so. I don't think that's necessarily the okay. problem because we're very good at being hypocrites. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're all sitting there on our phones and doing our work on our computer all day mm -hmm. long doesn't mean that we can't limit what our kids right. do. I mean, we drink and smoke and we don't let our kids drink and right. smoke. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the internet was not designed for kids. No. Um, these apps were not designed for kids originally. Um, and they're and many of them are totally unsuitable for kids. It turns out especially girls. Girls are much more sensitive to what other girls are doing than boys are to what other boys 100%. are doing. Mm -hmm. So when we hooked them all up, bad things happened. So yeah, I think age gating is absolutely essential. Um, and, you know, they say, oh, but, you know, it's hard. How can yeah. we do that? Well, look, that's your Too problem, bad, yeah. Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter. You guys are smart. You figure it out. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you there, uh, John. And you and I are both fathers. You have girls, I have boys. Um, would you rather your daughter's have a uh, drink alcohol and smoke marijuana at 16 or be uh, over index on Instagram and snap which do you think is well more the damaging? first one I actually want I mean my son is now 15 right. uh, and I offered to start drinking with him because I want him to you know I started drinking when I was 12 or 13 with my friends um, kids are growing up very slowly these days mm -hmm. which is fine but um, you know a little bit of alcohol and marijuana are not going to harm my son or my daughter um, but if my uh, my son finally got an Instagram account I didn't let him lie about his age when he was in sixth grade like all his mm -hmm. friends did um, and he thanked me, you know, he was, he was resentful at the time, it's, mm -hmm. but it, it, later on he could see, you know what, this is stupid and it wastes everyone's time. Uh, my daughter is 11 and if she were to get on Instagram, she would get sucked in. So there's no way I'm letting her on mm -hmm. until high school. How do you avoid that? It, it, what could happen here with age gating? Who has to do it, the companies or legislators? Yeah. Companies. Companies. Well, the com so what I believe needs to happen, and I just read Scott's piece mm -hmm. on what we can do, and as he said, the best regulator is a plaintiff's attorney. Right. Um, so I think it is, there are a couple of things that are insane about our current arrangement. The most obviously insane thing is that these platforms are not held liable for underage users. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had two conversations with Mark Zuckerberg, and in both of them, I said, look, Mark, you know, 10-year-olds are on Instagram. And he said, oh, but, you know, we don't allow that. I said, look, come on, Mark. You know, when my both of my kids entered sixth grade, mm -hmm. they said, everyone has an Instagram account. They just lie about their age. Yeah, they do. Um, and he, you know, he didn't exactly deny it, but he said, you know, we're working on it. We're working on it. And what they're working on, it seems, was Instagram kids. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 
Yes, it's their obligation, and they should be held liable for harms to preteens. The second thing is we should also talk about raising the age in COPPA. You know, as you guys know, when COPPA was introduced, the Child Child Online Protection Act, um, when it was introduced in 1998, I think it was, the age was 16. They said at 16, you're old enough to give away your data and make deals. And then the lobbyists pushed it down from 16 to 13. And all this was done with zero concern for mental health. This was just about legal you know, privacy rights. So I think we need to revisit it. And and I think the age should be raised to 16 for a certain purpose, not for everything. Obviously, kids can create accounts of all kinds, Mm -hmm. but there are certain platforms that are clearly dangerous for kids. And I think we need to figure out a way to keep them off until 16. Yeah. Can I just say when they, then they introduced Facebook for kids, when they heard about it, a Facebook executive said it to me. And I literally, all I said was no. No. And they're like, what do you mean no? I'm yeah. like, no. No, there is no. I was like, how dare you? There is, that's right. There is no form <laughs> of like, it that would be That safe. was my first thing. I'm like, no. No, where can I run in front of this yeah. to stop you from doing this awful thing? Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Scott. So, that's right. So in addition to your work on this emerging mental health crisis among teens, you've done a, a big body of your work is around polarization mm-hmm. and how our society is being kind of torn in two. I'm curious, uh, have you, do you have any thoughts on, quote unquote, this large idea around the metaverse and what that might mm-hmm. do around polarization and the role it might play either in uh, mental health or specifically around, around polarization? Yes. Um, yeah. And so this is going to be even darker and more twisted. Oh, no. But um, here we go. You know, we, you know, you know, I hope, I assume you look, we, a lot of us saw it the video. It can always that get Mark's, worse. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst day of my yeah. life. The no. worst day so far. So far. That's right. <laughs> you two are a laugh riot. The pair is yes. We are. We are. <laughs> There's kind of a dark humor yeah. here. Wait till we start drinking. I'm going to make the prediction that 2021 is going to be remembered as the calmest, sanest, most polite, most civil what? year of the 2020s. Oh, um, so eh, we'll see. We'll see. I could be wrong, but we'll see. Yeah, let's talk again in 2030. Get me some ketamine immediately. <laughs> so, so look, we are, you know, a lot of my work is on how we evolved to be deeply religious tribal creatures that organize themselves into uh, fish infusion societies shaped by constant conflict with nearby societies. But we're also good at making peace with them as well. That's the way we evolved. And in the last few hundred years, after hundreds of years of war, we decided, you know what, let's find a different way to live. And we developed liberal democracies. We developed institutions. They took a long, long time to build. It's hard to get them quite right, but they do generally get better over time. And that's the Western liberal democracy which then end up giving rights and civil rights and discovering all kinds of of ways to make life better for everyone. So that's the trajectory we're on until 2011. Um, And things began to get really weird in the 2010s. I think we all see it now. Uh, But this is what we first began to see on campus in 2014. Things are getting really weird. It's as though there's a glitch in the matrix. But what's really happening here is these virtual worlds are touching down. Um, What happens in Fortnite, my son plays Fortnite, Mm -hmm. uh, what happens there has zero effect on me or anyone else. It's closed. Um, But Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are sort of, they're sort of like metaverse-y things that touch the real world sometimes, especially Twitter. Mm -hmm. Leaders live in fear of Twitter. Um, So imagine now that rather than this metaverse, this weird world in which we have no idea what the average person thinks, but the activists, the extremists on the far right, the far left, they get, it's like they get little dark guns, they get to shoot people and and cause pain to people anywhere at any time. So imagine now that our entire world is like this. Imagine now that everywhere you go, um, there are anonymous people. Imagine a public square in which people are masked. You have no idea who is who and there's no consequences for bad behavior. 
So, you know, if you saw that video that, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg put out about how wonderful it's, the metaverse is going to be and you can play cards with people who are far away, it's going to be great. Like, no, that is your best case version of what it could be. And we know from experience, a lot of these platforms start out kind of nice and fun and they can get dark pretty quickly. So, so when you think about this, so if you think this is the happiest time, this is the light before the darkness coming, what is your biggest worry <laughs> looking at sort of their visions that you saw? Now, Microsoft, let's leave Microsoft's aside. That mm-hmm. was sort of hang out in a fake office where you're a cartoon character without legs. Mm-hmm. But what, when you looked at their visions, what did you think? You know, I was always on the left. Mm -hmm. And when I began studying political psychology, I realized there's some very good ideas on the right. And I don't mean the MAGA right. I mean, like the intellectual conservatives or people like Hayek or Oakeshott. And I realized, you know what? You actually need the give and take of of ideas Mm -hmm. of like fast progress. No, slow it down. It's dangerous. That's the traditional left-right tension that actually makes a liberal democracy better. The online world that we live in was designed by engineers, some of whom are libertarians, some of whom are progressive, none of whom are social conservatives or intellectuals. There are no psychologists involved, no sociologists. So this world that we now live in was created by people whose only incentive was grow it fast, grow it big, make it cool. And it's turned out very, very badly. So that's phase one or phase one and two. We're about to go into the next phase, which is going to be much bigger and also designed by clueless people who have a business incentive and no understanding of human psychology Mm -hmm. or sociology. So I just, you know, I don't see any reason to think this is going to work out well. To the extent that it becomes all-encompassing, I think it's going to do far greater damage to our kids than what's already happening and far greater damage to our democracy. I could be wrong on either count, but if current trends continue, I don't think I am. So just in terms of, you know, I call it cancel culture. Kara calls it accountability culture. Do you see what's happening? I was even I was on CNN talking about Aaron Rodgers, and I thought, am I piling on? Is it is it just easy to kind of pile on to this guy and become one of those not mass people, but you know, get, score points or be a guardian of gotcha by piling on this guy? Do you think it's where do you think we are in the cycle of the mm-hmm. Twitter mob? Or, uh, you know, you and I experience it or observe it, I think, a little bit of campuses where oh, some yeah. people say there's a bit of a surrender to the narrative or we're going to come after you and, and, mm-hmm. and threaten your career, whatever it might be. At the same time, people should be called out. And there are some wonderful things about mm-hmm. holding people accountable. Where do you think we are in the cycle, if you will? Do yeah. you think it's peak? Do you think it's going to get a lot well, worse? Where, where are we? So, so I think – so my next book is going to be called Life After Babel – adapting to a world we may never again share. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And a key idea in it, a key idea in it, is that there's the real world in which what the average person thinks matters to some extent. And Mm -hmm. that is still true on election day. We actually do have a way of measuring what what people think. And then there's the sort of the virtual world or the post-Babel parts of the virtual world in which you have no clue what the average person thinks and it doesn't matter. What matters is the dynamics. And that's Mm -hmm. what changed around 2014, 2015, the dynamics. And you can call it accountability if you like. It is a form of accountability. And accountability in the abstract is a very good thing. You have to have accountability. But imagine if tomorrow, imagine if a world becomes fully accountable, but the accountability, there's no due process, there's no friction, uh, so anyone can hold anyone accountable with no friction, no due process, no context. Um, everyone's free to put their worst read on whatever you said or did, mm-hmm. put it up, and have other people jump on. Um, this is not a world in which we get responsible behavior. This is a world in which suddenly everyone is now afraid. Everyone says they're walking on eggshells. And I would guess most of the cases of people being held accountable, when you dig into them, and I've dug into a lot of them, are incredibly unjust. 
So I think that Twitter is just not a good mechanism for improving accountability in a society. So what do you do, though? I know there's no silver bullet, but what do you do? If people agree with you that there's a lack mm -hmm. of nuance and due process, how do you reintegrate that into the discourse? So I think, yeah. So I think that the biggest thing we need to do is move away from our focus on content moderation. I think one thing we learned from Francis Haugen mm -hmm. is that what they get, they, you know, maybe 10% mm -hmm. of what's, of what would count as hate speech and less than 1% yeah, of it. intimidation and violence. Yeah. So let's forget, let's forget the focus on content moderation. It's all about the virality yep. mm -hmm. and the rate limiters. I would much rather have the that. architecture. Yeah, it's the architecture. I had an interview with several executives at, at, at all these companies, Twitter, Facebook, and they all said it's the, it's the, when they changed it from accuracy to virality when it, that's when yep. everything went askew so i, I just it. gotta ask you both a question from an outsider's perspective i look at mark zuckerberg and i'm like most dangerous person in the world total fucking sociopath you have both sat down with him and looked mm -hmm. him in the eyes and seen how re his body language how he reacts to ideas mm -hmm. and i think there is a power and an honesty to having a relationship with someone, what are your thoughts on Mark Zuckerberg? I think he's the most powerful person in the planet. What? I think he's the most dangerous, mm -hmm. and but not a sociopath. Okay. But that's Go just Go ahead, John. Yeah. Yeah, no, I no, I agree with Kara. I think that he he ends up being dangerous because he controls Facebook. Um, but I think the way to understand him, I think he's not. He's definitely not a sociopath. I don't think he's greedy. I don't think he's motivated by money. Mm -hmm. I think the way to understand him is that Facebook is his baby. He created it. He's very ambitious, and he is focused on growth over everything else. Yeah, I think he'd like to do good if he could, but nothing, nothing will interfere with his his desire to have it grow as fast as possible and win. Bingo. And there, I think. So I'll just close by just saying this, you know, people say, is, is, is Facebook like a tobacco company? And I say, no, Facebook, the best analogy is the British East India Company. Hmm. It's oh. like this giant company that was, you know, given a license by the crown and they, oh, go, you know, go start wars, go conquer people, start famines, who cares? We're not monitoring. Yeah. Um, so that would be the way to think about it. All right. We'll figure out the metaphors, but there's several of them, all conflicting ones. Jonathan, thank you so much. You're a friggin' bummer. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing your uh, your articles and research on this stuff. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Scott. All right, Scott, one more quick break. He was amazing. We'll be back for predictions. Support for the show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, give us this week's prediction. It's got to be fast. I got to go to a parent-teacher conference. Uh, 2022 is going to be the, the year of staggering 
uh, M&A, all in the pursuit of a super app. If you look at the number of everybody used to recruit mm-hmm. or people used to want to recruit people from the big four. Now the big four are all recruiting people from Alibaba and Tencent because the war for to create super the super apps. app is going to be huge. And what's interesting is, and this is, goes to my prediction, and it's uh, – I'll get shit on Twitter, but it's about Twitter. I think that these companies, social media platforms, can kind of manipulate their earnings by either not cleaning up fake accounts or cleaning them up. I think Jack Dorsey is going to see God over the next two months clean up a ton of accounts, show shitty earnings and growth, puke on himself. The stock will go down to 40, and then Square is going to acquire Twitter and try and become a 10 cent. Yeah, I like that. So it's funny. I'm writing about super apps. It's it's a really interesting concept. It's suddenly the word of the day. Um, so we'll see what happens. And I agree. They're all coalescing. And, I, you know, interestingly, I had an interesting discussion about uh, with uh, Ken Buck about this. He thinks there mm-hmm. should be super apps because then there's no individualized monopolies in like search or whatever. It, he thinks it improves the situation. Interesting. Um, interesting idea, but that's a very good prediction. Um, some big news. We're officially announcing Pivot MIA. Join us in Miami this coming February 14th to 16th. Follow us on Twitter at PivotPod to find out more information and tickets when they become available. We have to think what MIA should stand for besides Metaverse in Action. Not really. There'll be no Metaverse. We are going to be in person with tequila. Scott, what, why should people come to Pivot MIA? I think you and I are committed to having the world's most important and enjoyable gathering in the history of business. That's my goal. All right, but I, I need something What's sexier. I need something sexier. I don't know. Everybody gets to sleep at Scott's house. That's why. We're going to have a big pajama party at Scott's house. What do you say? That's like the worst Cinemax movie ever. <laughs> Literally. That's like, oh, my God, who's he? <laughs> Get him out of here. No, no. We're, we're staying it's at the Faena or the One Hotel. It's going to be amazing. We have the best restaurants, the best speakers, people like Jonathan Haidt, Aswat yeah. Motorin. We're going to sex it up. This is going to be... Fantastic, MIA, Miami. I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is our Good. first event together. I'm, I'm really excited. We're very excited. We'll, we'll have more information soon. Okay, Scott, that's the show. As always, you can send your questions to nymag.com slash pivot. We're digging into that mailbag soon. So send us something good. We'll be back on Tuesday for more. Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Neyman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mia Silverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Required reading for any parent. And I don't read a lot of books on parenting, but I absolutely love this one. Is The Coddling of the American Mind by our guest today, Jonathan Hyde. Not only talks about social media, but also talks just about raising kids and what it means to have productive, civic-minded children. Thanks for listening. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here... Chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.